I'm Fathery. This is Dave. This is Brian. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the 112th installment of the Text Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we talk all about Star Trek all the time. And tonight, uh, Dave and Brian and I have joined forces again to discuss Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1, Episode 4, Moist Vessel. Episode written by Ann Kim and directed by Barry J. Kelly. So we're going to go ahead and kick things off by just going around the room and saying what our opening statement is, our our general thoughts on this episode, and then we'll go into more detail. Uh, I'll I'll go ahead and kick things off, and then I'll pass it to Brian. But I I did not like this episode as much as the other ones. I still had a good time with it. But overall, I found the jokes didn't land and were kind of unclever, especially compared to uh, last week. And I, I, I did feel like in episode three, the show was firing on all cylinders or flying on all thrusters or whatever, whatever you want to call it. But um, so it did feel like a little bit of a drop off. But where I had a good time this week was with the mother daughter stuff with Mariner and Captain Freeman and uh, I'm, I'm hoping to see more of that. Uh, but uh, like I said, some of the jokes didn't land and I wish they had been a little bit more clever. I'll point those out when we get to them. I'll go ahead and uh, turn it over to Brian. What do you think about this one? Um, I don't, I, I, we've only four episodes in, but at this point I'm ready to say that this is an average episode of Lower Decks. Um, <laughs> this... I, I liked it better than the first one, but not as much as the second or the third. I didn't come away with a profound idea or comment or, or anything particularly, but I laughed. Uh, I liked the character development. Um, so, yeah, it was fine. <laughs> so. I liked it exactly as much as I've liked every previous episode, which is to say I somewhere middling to didn't like it. <laughs> well, you liked the first episode. It went downhill after that, right? Yeah, okay. The, I guess that first one doesn't count. <laughs> I was uh, I was high on, on cartoony animation. Uh, I was a little sad uh, that uh, the, the Tellarite guy, which I know we're going to talk more about it, but, but didn't he have like an English accent or something like that? I didn't read it as that, but... He just didn't feel very Cap- Tellarite to Captain me. Captain Durango? Yeah. Weird name, too. Lots of planets have in England. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. I thought he was too Tellarite-ish. <laughs> you did? Yeah. He, did, um, he wasn't serving up the insults as, uh, as as I like to see it. 
the uh, I think I think for Dave, I think like the the golden example of Tellerites is Journey to Babel. I mean, it's 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 kind of hard to to beat the one that actually created them, but that's just one character. I, I'm just letting you know because I know you haven't seen like some of the episodes of Enterprise that have Tellerites, but they're. They they do come in like a, a few different stripes. Uh, right, they're they're all still kind of like argumentative assholes. <laughs> right, that's, and the, I, I, that's the thing I like best about them. Weirdly, uh, some of my Tellerite stuff uh, uh, was based on a, a novel that had a just a chapter in it that that, that had a sort of notable supporting character on a uh, mining colony where uh, Kirk was working after the Enterprise had been destroyed because weird time travely stuff. Um, and, uh, she had a sort of argumentative flirtation with her that I found it very endearing. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, uh, but keeping it to the episode, uh, I do agree with you, Fathery, that the, uh, the, the mother-daughter stuff was, was, was nice to see, um, and, uh, the, um, I, 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 I was somewhat amused by the ins and outs of the, uh, what is it, the Ascension subplot. <laughs> yes. Uh. Which I think we're uh, and, and I've jotted down a few, about. I've jotted down a few things that were like bits that I th- I thought were particularly funny, uh, which maybe a little bit more than in one of the previous episodes. So you know, hmm. uh, like I said, pretty average for me. But then again, it hasn't, uh, except for that first episode, I haven't been super on board. You've you've been underwhelmed. You've been consistently underwhelmed. Yes, that's the poll quote I would like for them to use for me: <laughs> consistently underwhelmed. <laughs> well then. Uh, I'm just going to read the synopsis for this episode from Memory Alpha, and then I'll expand on that with spoilers to give our recap of the episode. Captain Freeman seeks the ultimate payback after Mariner blatantly disrespects her in front of the crew. A well-meaning Tendi accidentally messes up a lieutenant's attempt at spiritual ascension and tries to make it right. And I'll just expand on that, but... Mariner is promoted and given more work to do and more responsibilities, and some vessels get moist and start unstably terraforming, and uh, it forces mother and daughter to work together to save not one, but two ships. Are we going to, like, find out that there's some, uh, like, secret, more hidden meaning about, uh, I don't know, uh, getting wet in this episode? (laughs) Some dirty subplot that I haven't quite picked well, up on yet i have to admit i was a little like didn't get the title once i got done with it i, I don't get like, it either you... uh okay well right. i mean i get it there's like a liquid that it touches a, a a ship a vessel and chaos ensues because it begins to terraform it sounds like it's like i haven't googled it but it sounds like the kind of thing that would actually be like some kind of terminology and you know um Oh, like a, like a Schrodinger uh, this, cat or like a spooky action. Yeah, yeah, like one, or somebody who's like, like, a, weird... like, in, like an anatomy term like, oh, yes, this is, a, you know, we have to close off the moist vessel before we can proceed. Oh. Uh, yeah. So may, maybe it has something to do with that. Maybe one of us should have Googled it. Y'all keep talking <laughs> I while I Google it. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think there's much meaning to this, but I could be wrong. Uh, I didn't know that the word moist is triggering to some people until, uh, Dave, you actually pointed that out to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I don't think I would have ever I've ever quite heard it s- described as as triggering per se, uh, but I do know it's kind of just seen as like a kind of a gross icky word. That's yeah, all. I think it's a pretty essential word. Like, how do you describe like a if you want like a moist cake or like a moist right? Like, well, like, you, you know, it used to be dry. like a 
purely the domain of Betty Crocker from the uh, 60s to the 90s, I'm guessing. Uh, but at some point, I believe it came to uh, describe sexual anatomy quite a bit. <laughs> uh, maybe it was all those penthouse letters. I don't know. But uh, it, uh, it became gross uh, to, to many women in particular. And so I, yeah. uh, I don't use it too often. I, it's just um, I, 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 uh, I don't have strong feelings about it one way or the other. But yeah, I kind of like the word like moist. It. I'm going to try to say it more. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, sure. Uh, annoy, annoy a gender. That seems like a great idea for our progressive podcast. Fathery. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know it was a, it was a gender thing. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure it is. Um, I, I, I have met guys that do gender. not like the word. So, what's that? I I, I have met males, uh, guys, uh, okay. men who do not like the word. Uh, I I don't have any particular feelings one way or the other about it. But <laughs> now, fathery, this uh, this first image you got right here, uh, I do want to say that uh, on a kind of you know you know there are times when um, lower decks does emulate TNG and just follow, falls into some of its tropes. Or we'll play things a little more serious. And I thought all this was pretty cool. I thought the generation ship was super cool looking. Really great design. I liked yeah. seeing some of the effects around it. Like them towing it in a little bit. I'm sure you got a graphic for that later on. But um, but yeah, that was, this was actually kind of a neat way to start off for me. With, I guess, a somewhat more serious sci-fi plot line. Even if it was generation ships are a trope. And they were kind of acknowledging it as such. It wasn't like, let's stare in, in awe and grandeur at this. It was like a... Here's a standard sci-fi idea. Now let's see what we're going to do with it. But they did have a cool-looking generation ship. <laughs> Can I say one thing about the generation ship that, that bothered me? Yeah, And I yeah. do agree with you. I thought I this think... was pretty cool. But it, it is not a generation ship. Yes! Yes! It is a cryo uh, right. ship. Yeah, they like call a it a generation ship or a cryo ship. ship. Yeah, see, a generation ship is the people who get on board at the beginning of the voyage are not the same people who get off. They die, right. but a next generation whole, whole nope. generations come and go yeah yes. uh, well, that's a good we'll, point you know we'll i don't learn, think it but... even occurred to me i just kind of took it on faith and then they kind of had moved on to goofy plot stuff <laughs> yeah but we have a uh, we have the cerritos team up with her sister's ship the merced to uh, deal with this uh ship that they find that belonged to some ancient alien race they were traveling now, to colonize some planet they were the ones who found the ship. This is not a second contact thing where the Enterprise found it and then said, hey, you guys should pick oh, this thing it up. Could have We're been. moving on. Yeah, okay. they didn't specify, but I, I like that idea. Um, right. it, it is a cool design. The, uh, the cryo tubes kind of remind you of Space Seed that introduced Khan way back on the original series. And they um, also remind me of every other cryo tube I've ever seen in yeah. sci-fi. <laughs> well, I have to I'm talking admit. about when Star Trek did it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Well, I actually thought about the the neutral zone with the the cowboy and the yeah. Wall Street banker, but um, and what I think I... of the Voyager episode with the evil clown. Yes, evil clown the episode. The thaw. The thaw. Yes, that's a good one. Um, I will say, I, they they mentioned that they were mummified, uh, but I just took that as a as a cute way of saying that they were still frozen. I assumed they were all still alive and it took me some time into the episode before I realized, Oh no, they are actually all dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah they're, they're and then cryo tubes broke or something. Something, something yeah, not yeah. correctly. 
And then I immediately leapt to, aha, they're going to use the life goo to bring the crew back to life. I mean, maybe not intentionally, but somehow that's going to happen. And all these people are going to wake up and and chaos is going to ensue and hijinks will ensue. And they never once did that. They never (laughs) even got close to doing that the whole way through the episode. So both my attempts to figure out what was predictively figure out what was going to happen were completely wrong so so brian missed opportunity or did they uh surprise you in a a good way i guess what's the point of putting all those people on the ship if you aren't going to do anything with them why not just have the ship have the bio goo and leave it at that uh i guess i guess they were to some degree they may have just thought let's start with what would be a typical starter storyline for tng or tos and, uh, you know, with some built-in, like, sort of plot hooks, and then just go in a different direction or something like that. I, I don't know that they... I, I wonder if there was any, you know, more thought than that. that I, they I, I think it was just to convey that it was... I mean, like, their concept was it's a terraforming goo that colonists would take to go terraform a planet. So they had to explain, yeah. well, we, we don't have time to deal with the colonists, so why aren't the colonists around? Why do we just have their goo? But Did anybody ever, like, express, like, a, I don't know, sadness that there were, like... I don't know, thousands or tens of thousands of dead people on the ship. <laughs> no, but I kind of wish <laughs> they like had. like a slight overlook. Yeah, yeah but the, I, I feel like most Star Trek shows wouldn't have dwelt on that too much beyond maybe a line or two of dialogue. But yeah, but somebody would have said, uh, like, Riker would have been like, it's sobering, isn't it? So many lives, all those dreams lost. And then they would yeah. move on to the plot. But, you know, he'd say something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, the, the life goo itself we should talk about, because... What it does is, I guess, rearrange matter, kind of like the Genesis device. (laughs) Genesis? Genesis? What's that? It's it's liquid Genesis. Genesis in a can. Yeah, like it'll turn a tricorder into a plant. (laughs) And so we're introduced to uh, Captain Durango, the uh, Tellerite. We finally get a Tellerite on this show. I know Larry Nemechek somewhere was uh, jumping up and down because he was he's so excited to see the return of the Tellerites. I'm uh, glad he wasn't t- Finally. He wasn't a, uh... It took them four episodes. Finally? Really? <laughs> I can't believe it took four episodes. You know how many aliens Tellerite. they've shown on this show? What's it? I noticed, by the way, this Tellerite didn't have tusks, and I'm, I'm into that. Yeah, they only do that on Discovery. And maybe like yeah. that weird one on Picard, but I hate the Picard Tellerite. I never want to see it again. Uh, yeah. I hope that Picard Tellerite... Gets his eye torn out. Yeah, I like I like that lower decks tends to go with more of the traditional designs that we would have seen on. Uh, di- yeah, well, the original it's series kinda are kind of Enterprise in this case. It's more like the Enterprise teller, right? Yeah. yeah, he's puppy and uh, and and he has a he has a mega beard. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> I feel like I have a Tellerite beard right now. <laughs> You've got but... the argumentative side down, fathery. <laughs> Uh, this is the first time where the the opening pre-title sequence ties into the rest of the episode on this show Uh Uh, mariner starts things off on the wrong foot i think she might have intentionally poking at her her captain mom we saw her do that in episode one but yeah when she's yawning and they're during their briefing and captain durango gets all pissed off and then captain freeman gets embarrassed so this kind of uh, reignites those sparks that were established in the first episode between uh, mother and daughter. Yes, she. She. I. I have no doubt she was deliberately trying to wind up mom by disrupting the meeting and embarrassing 
uh, mom. Um, I don't know why, uh, like, if it's it's my own uh, just sort of uh, instinct, or if it's, you know, uh, decades of Trek that have actually been somewhat about the somewhat regimented command structure and all that, but it annoys me whenever she's, like, sort of insubordinate. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm like, uh, she, she is being super obnoxious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I actually was like, what? Jeez. And I, I finally decided as the episode went on, okay. Uh, um, I'm blanking if on If she were name. to do that when um, they were doing their spoof scene, like later yeah. on when they're like picking beige chair colors or whatever, that'd be one thing. But like when they're kind of doing actual mission stuff, it's yeah. – uh, anyway, sorry, Brian. I didn't mean to or not. Oh, I, it just seems like Mariner and um, her mom have a very bad relationship. Like – Yes. Like and and it's it's so bad that they will both embarrass themselves and look ridiculous look like ridiculous idiots in public in front of their fellow crewmates because that's how wound up and tangled up they are in this bad relate toxic relationship uh where she's uh, where Mariner is always trying to screw with mom and and get and get get mom to break her cool and mom is always trying to basically be like Boimler. Um, and maybe that's why Mar- uh, Mariner's always picking on Boimler is it's like, oh, it's my mom, only it's a, uh, it's a, some kid who doesn't know any better and <laughs> I can maybe drive this out of him. So. Right. I think that's a, I think that's a reasonable take on the, the, the sort of relationship. Mm. It's also, I mean, in a, in a comedy setting, everything gets turned up to 11. So if you've got characters who are at odds, they become comedically at odds all the time. Uh, and but, it allows yeah. the show. It allows the show to be a little different for Star Trek and bring in things you might typically see in a family sitcom, like assholes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, like I don't, I, I can't imagine like uh, Ben Sisko and Jake Sisko ha- like having like uh, some of these types of, of moments. I think Sis- Ben Sisko would shut that down quickly, I think. But <laughs> Ben Sisko is uh, such a good parent that things yeah. would probably never get to that point. Yes, he's agreed. the best Absolutely. parent in all of Star Trek. He would never be trying to play mind games with Jake. So, Yeah, I like, I like when they have like the, the argument or the confrontation in the, the ready room and she's calling her Beckett. Um, like she's the only person who calls her by her first name, which you think that somebody else might figure out oh are they like secretly mother and daughter like why do they talk to each other as as first it has been established that the rest of the crew doesn't know as far as i can tell they i mean no one else has mentioned it 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 was kept a secret from the audience until that that tease scene and and nobody at the end of the first episode nobody's like said hey mariner pull some strings with your mom and get us some extra leave time or you know that hasn't ever even been mentioned no, oh, but that's where some of my disappointment in this episode comes in from. Is as much as I love the them exploring the mother daughter stuff, I really wanted them to to flesh this stuff out. I was hoping that we'd find out a little bit more. I'm very intrigued by like Mariner's backstory. Why does she go by a different last name than her mom? You know, why has she been on all these different ships and now like she's stuck on the Cerritos, even though her mom doesn't want her there? They're, they they keep teasing at something that has uh, been kept a secret, and I wanted them to. To pull back the curtain, not all the way, but just a little bit more than they did here. Yeah. Well, they do actually have the first officer, like, flat out say, why do you put up with her shit? I mean, um, yes. and and so we, we, they, they are at least aware that there's something deeply strange and screwed up about the way things are working on this uh, uh, between them. 
Um, I, all I can say is that the answer better be worth all of the buildup that they are laying down. <laughs> so. Yeah, the longer you draw it out, the more you set yourself up for disappointment if it doesn't deliver. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, at, uh, look at Star Trek Discovery Season 2 for a perfect example on how not to do it, in my opinion, <laughs> with, the, with the, the Red Angel story arc that I did not, uh, th- that I was not satisfied with at the end of it. Oddly enough, among my issues with Lower Decks, I, I don't, I'm not particularly worried about them, uh, the, the, that mystery, that, that, that doesn't, uh, doesn't draw, it draw into me. And maybe it's because I haven't been kind of caught up in it because it has, the show hasn't engaged me as much, but, um... But yeah, I don't you know I don't mind if they wait till the last episode of the season or whatever to say what what their deal is. <laughs> I, I think they would be smart to to at least reveal the basics of it or something else earlier. But yeah, if they don't, I won't be like. I mean, yeah, it seems like they should. They could get away with revealing what it the problem is, and then have a later episode that re- resolves or at least makes progress towards solving the problem unless they want to do a cliffhanger ending in which case the problem gets worse but they could do I, that. I mean i do with think the... that well go ahead father well, i was just going to say with as much as uh, mike mcmahon is in love with with tng and berman era star trek and the fact that they greenlit seasons one and two so when they were producing season one he knew he was going to get a second season mm-hmm. i hadn't thought of this before but i could totally see it ending with a cliffhanger that's I just I just had a mariner yawn that I tried to stifle. <laughs> I was I, I, I was uh, trying to hold that back when you were doing your opening statement earlier. They uh, they uh, the animation on on stuff like that is is pretty good. There's some great keyframes in there of like you know the uh, kind of faces people make. Well, this um, is oh just real quick, father. I just wanted a quick add that um, uh, certainly Discovery and I think Picard have suffered though from. Um, uh, from from trying to like wait to to the, the finale for like the to, to for everything to cut loose a big episode with lots of fighting and shooting and emotional conflicts and maybe a reveal or two and and I definitely yeah it, it to me that doesn't that's not something I particularly want from Trek and I, I also think they haven't done it as as well as many other shows have like if you're gonna do that you need yeah. to do it really well so um, I think it's the sitcom format makes it like a little bit easier going for me where meta plot stuff is just kind of percolating for me not real high on my radar well i mean this is a much less serialized show so if if they don't have like a big reveal it's not going to ruin the entire season because a lot of these episodes you can enjoy on your own whereas with picard and discovery season two i was my opinion on the entire season lowered because of the (laughs) disappointment i experienced in the finales I have to disagree a little bit. The, the 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 reveal of what is causing all the mysteries around um uh the captain's name I'm blanking on uh Freeman Freeman F- Freeman Fre- Freeman <laughs> Carol Freeman not Carol Freeman, Freeman. That okay the shit out of here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway Freeman and Mariner what that reveal of what's actually going on there will, I think, color my opinion of most of their interactions uh, and and a lot of and perhaps a lot of uh, Mariner's actions in general back through the whole season. So, uh, I, yeah, I think they they better stick the landing on that one. Um, so because otherwise, my opinion of this show could could drastically fall. So, well, Commander Ransom inspires Captain Freeman to give. Ensign Mariner all of the shittiest jobs on the ship and try to get her to quit. 
Which is kind of like when you uh, work somewhere and they don't want to fire you and pay you unemployment, so they, they treat you <laughs> like shit and try to get you to quit. Um, it's also a, uh, it's it's the standard uh, bad breakup technique of you don't want to uh, man up or woman up or ovary up to, uh, to it and to cut something off and you let it lapse by kind of bad behavior. Oh, I've, uh, I don't think I've ever experienced that unless someone did it to me and I... I was uh, I was too thick I mean, to notice, but th- yeah, that, I, I think a lot of people have experienced it. Um, <laughs> but they're they're getting their assignments, and uh, Boimler is all happy because he gets to go hang out in the conference room and get access to the, the senior officer replicator. Uh, and I'm guessing now that the reason why they sleep in bunks now that apparently they have replicators that aren't as good. It's because that's kind of done intentionally. There's kind of what happens in real life military, you know, during like basic training and stuff when they're they're hard on you to like you you have to prove you can get through it because there's no reason for them not to have like just as good of a food replicator. So yeah, that, that kind of explains some of the lower deck conditions. So some of the stuff that the show is presenting kind of makes a little bit more sense if you take that into context. So they're the the bosses are deliberately making their their minions' lives miserable just. Not miserable, not miserable, but just like there, you, you like you have to like earn your your privileges. It's uh, interesting. I, it's uh, like it's like when you play a sport and like it's the like beginning of the season. The coach makes you like run a lot to try to get like the quitters out. Maybe well, they yeah, should uh, you... have to earn the privilege of uh, having an air conditioning on uh, or uh, or uh, or uh, heat when it's cold. The, the replicators for the crewmen deliberately make the uniforms itchy. So for the lower decks people, um, I mean, I don't know. You could do that. I I guess it's a slippery slope, really, Starfleet. Be careful about it. Yeah, when you have your people, your sport athletes run a bunch. Yes, it weeds out the weaklings. But a this is after Starfleet Academy. That should have already happened. Yeah, um, but I don't know like another explanation for like why and, they would have like a less yeah. good. I know and, Picard and, did and that. the athletes are actually going to be better athletes because they <laughs> spent a bunch of time running, which I don't see how shitty replicators are going to actually improve the quality of the work these people do. Now that said, this this kind of the underpinnings of this is 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 the old uh, problems of Star Trek and sort of economics and how exactly you portray their uh, post scarcity stuff, uh, which is to say. They, they never, ever dive deep into that on Star Trek. It's always something that they kind of want you to take on faith, but they don't want to go too deep into because it's not the point of the show. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the bunks and the other, and the, the, the like, the replicators all just kind of amount to, it's, it's funny for this show. <laughs> but I, I think it makes more sense here than, like, it does on Picard when you have people working at Utopia Planitia Fleet Yards. And apparently they have, like, a shitty replicator. Like, I don't know what the explanation for that is. It might look like something they cobbled together. Maybe the room's not actually supposed to have a replicator, and they, <laughs> they just, just put one, one, installed one in there. You know, like when you, the school teacher who has a microwave next to their desk, you know. So. You know, one, uh, there's, a, there's a writing trope that uh, of people complaining about the food, you know, and it very often is uh, it shows up in school, you know, movies or military movies and things like that. And uh, and I, I I sometimes wonder if they just do stuff like that just because they're falling back on slightly hacky writing tropes. Yeah, um, yeah, could be the case. But uh, Mariner. But gets, the, what, what uh, was it that Boimler said that he could get? Like I, I forget what the foods were. 
Uh, but I was kind of amused by his list of things that they can get there. Well, he talked about getting macaroni and cheese with the breading on top. Oh, with bread oh, crumbs that's at, the, that's at the end of the episode. You're jumping ahead. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. We don't got pictures for that yet. <laughs> Carry on. Well, they, no, they did talk about some food at the front end, too. That's what I was going to say. He mentions it, it several times in the episode, or at least twice, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't remember what the foods were, but it was I like it was. There was something like pierogies or something. Yeah. Not that, oh. but something like that. Yeah, I think it was like some food. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. Anyway, carry on, sir. Uh, so Mariner is getting all, like, the terrible assignments that no one wants. Uh, meanwhile, they set up kind of, I guess, the C story or the D story. Uh, it's kind of hard to keep straight. You basically have, like, I guess the A story is the the generation ship. The B story is, like, Mariner's promotion. The C story is Tendi and the Ascension. And then the D story is Boimler deciding to break bad later, but... Yeah, However which you really amounts them, they... to like two scenes. <laughs> but yeah, they they all kind of all blend together. They actually they actually tie together so well that I I was thinking, well, that episode was kind of all over the place, wasn't it? And I was like, oh no, like kind of everything just fit pretty well. That uh, I don't I don't know if Tendy's story really tied to the others, other than thematically that it was all about yes, character about, relationships. Uh, about the but... well, also like the idea of like ascending is also like promoting. And moving up in rank, moving up in uh, your okay. right. status as a life form. The, right. uh, in our comment section, the, uh, the sleepy craftsman uh, mentions fritters were at least mentioned at some point, and that rings a bell. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. And, uh, Those sweet, sweet fritters. Yeah, and uh, Jude Beacom uh, mentions lobster ravioli, which is, I think, maybe the one of the bigger ones. Okay. When I know what that is. The end. Yeah, now that sounds pretty good. Yeah. But, yeah, so we get... Lieutenant O'Connor. Do y'all know who did the the voice work for this character? No. It's the guy who was the kid in the Sixth Sense who could see dead people. Oh. <laughs> How interesting. I, I, for, I forget uh, his name. If somebody uh, checking us out live uh, remembers his name, go ahead and comment and let me know. But now that, Haley Joel Osment. Yes. Yes. That's it. Sorry for, to ruin that for our commenters. Well, for some reason, like, that name never sticks in my brain. There's just, like, sometimes there's, like, a certain fact that no matter how many times I'm exposed to it, it just doesn't compute. He's got a, he's got a three, uh, he's got a serial killer three, three name name. <laughs> like, John Wilkes Booth. Yeah. Uh, Lee Harvey but, Oswald. But yeah, so, Lieutenant O'Connor, and if, if you notice, he has the sand mandala. Mandala, I only know what that word means because that came up in Star Trek Picard earlier this year. Uh, oh, okay. But if you if you notice, there's a little bit of foreshadowing. You can see like a man in the middle of a bird, and also the oh, face yeah. of a koala. There's a koala bear in that in the the multicolored oh, okay. sand. Yeah, nice. Oh. I, I approve. <laughs> I did actually like that Mandela Mandala uh, Mandela uh, a lot. I was like, that's a really cool emblem. I, I wouldn't mind just having a, a picture of that in my Star Trek screensaver. So. But uh, Tendi, as was established in the first episode, is not very familiar with sand. And <laughs> maybe that explains why she didn't know if you knock a, a Zuchian gong into a, a sand mandala, it'll ruin two years worth of work. <laughs> I must assume he's got some sort of stasis field he turns on when he's not mess not updating his, his sand thing, because otherwise every time the ship shook from whatever, it would get messed up. So, <laughs> yeah, so any, the, anytime the inertial dampeners point. weren't working. Yeah, um, so he's got to have some sort of force field he can switch I on was, when he's not you messing with I it. was amused by uh, Tendi uh, ordering up through the replicator 
uh, like multicolored sand. Or did she say like room temperature or something like yes. that? Yeah. <laughs> Which I think, I think uh, every time to fix it. Every time they use the replicator for something in the show, they should specify a temperature at the end of it. <laughs> uh, did like y'all notice the mistake? Phaser room temperature. <laughs> there is a there is a mistake in the in the background here. Uh, you can see the sand in the replicator before Tindy uses it. That's so weird in animation that 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 shouldn't really be. But <laughs> but I guess just, that, sometimes the, the scene may have been. They might stuff. have rearranged the scenes at the last minute just to yeah. uh, no. edit to get the shot they needed. No, they they just they just stuck the wrong background in there because the I mean like the way that you watch it, there's like sand and then there's no sand and then it's there. Uh-huh. But uh, my my friend uh, pointed that out to me. Uh, like I I didn't catch that on my own. The did. Uh... I want to see somebody come up with the uh, explanation for that. The uh, Marvel style no prize. Uh, what's the benevolent explanation for how the sand was already there? You well, did the it. sand Everybody does can... get the sand gets thrown through the air when the gong, and it goes everywhere. So maybe some of it landed up there, and that's what that. But then bit it, of it color leaves out of there. If 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 you if you watch, it's like there, not there, there. Uh, is it there before she give? Is, is it not there before she gives the order to the replicator? Yes. Um, oh, okay. Like, because it could be if she already—I I don't know how the audio ties in with these slides you're putting up, but be- if she actually she started the order, giving the orders, it might have cleaned the plate before. It rep- no, but like, <laughs> before she gives the order, it's there, okay. and then when she gives the order, it is not there, and All then right. it it appears there. So it is not there before she gives the right. order. So if, if people want to explain this one, there's they're going to have to work in temporal stuff. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but yeah, this kind of kicks off the story of her and uh, Lieutenant O'Connor. And yes, they get off on what you would call the the worst foot ever, and she is uh, then trying to sort of uh, make amends. Now, which was the uh, the the episode where there was uh, they they Crusher gets I think involved with a guy who's trying to ascend or about to ascend or something like that? Oh, John Doe. Yeah, John Doe, which was, was that the name of the episode? No, um, oh. the the name of the episode was, um, I, I got it in my notes, we'll get to it later when we do okay, the all right. I had to write I, it I down did, I, was, I, I was thinking about that, because I was like, where where have we seen that? This trope of Ascension becomes a huge deal in mid to late Stargate stuff. Hmm. I heard about so, that. Yeah, all of this feels incredibly... Like, there are Stargate episodes that kind of parallel what this guy is doing. Um, and uh, at least in one case, if not two, depending on how you look at it. And uh, so, yeah, this all felt like a very Stargate-y plot line. I'm not saying that as a criticism, uh, especially since this is Star Trek. So it's if it's never been done on Star Trek before, then maybe it should. it's time for it to happen. But I did Brian, think... do you think there's any possibility they were doing, like, a little light spoof of Stargate? It is possible, especially since the Ascended thing kind of looks a little like what the Ascended things in Stargate look like. They referenced Stargate last week, too, when they had uh, Boimler humming the TNG theme in the elevator. Apparently there's an episode of Stargate where a character hums the Stargate theme That's in the That's right! Elevator. There is! There is! They're in the elevator and they hum the Stargate theme, and, yes. And they've taken a, a couple jabs at Star Wars, too, like with um, the Boimler's... Uh, comment on sand getting everywhere and also the the sentient cave it's a dark scary place that knows things i think kind of tied oh, into yeah. dagobah but yeah okay no you're right 
All right. Well, cool. I like that they're pulling from more than just Star Trek. So, so it was nice to see uh, Boimler happy for a little bit in this episode, um, where he's he's enjoying his assignment and he's uh, he's doing the the what was it called the Boimler's sarcastic an asshole when he's happy sarcastic uh, Vulcan salute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then I like that Mariner thought it still looked cool on him. But we get the I would call it like the the labors of Mariner, where she's doing all of the terrible <laughs> jobs, the uh, holodeck waste removal. So um, now I guess I mean we know that the ship from the tech manuals anyway. The ship says that they actually do recycle all the poo and pee back into food. Uh, I don't really like that though. I'd rather throw it away. Um. Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's ever been stated in the show, but it has. It was stated on, in the on in Enterprise on, on huh? the NXO one. On the NXO no. one, they recycled waste. Okay, so uh, and and the next generation tech manual says they do it in the twenty fourth century. So that's generally considered yeah. mostly canon. But I kind of uh, I kind of like the idea of the holodeck being prevented from breaking down biomatter because that could like murder people if if. For some reason, uh, they were in the holodeck when they shouldn't be. They've or got something. good safeguards. Yeah. They've never. They failed. don't though. <laughs> they really. Well, don't. we don't. This is farther I was, in the I was future. Saying that with ironic. Yeah. Uh, this is farther in the future. They might have safeguards that they did not previously have. So the, this might be a, a, yeah. a the, the consequence of all of those other holodeck malfunction episodes. But I also, I kind of. That's one of those things where I. I uh, it's a trope where, because I don't think it's intended by the uh, creators that we think that holodecks are super dangerous. Right. Uh, they just make good plot points. So uh, so I don't actually particularly take seriously the notion that they're super death traps. Presumably, they're used like uh, thousands of times a day, all the time, and don't create Moriarty. Yeah. Yeah, yes. I, think, I think that's how most people uh, are, are supposed to think about them. Yeah. But she's also uh, lubing the turbo lift. And we get to see Lieutenant Shax. And yeah. I I just love that it is a normal looking turbo lift and doesn't look like a, <laughs> a Six Flags ride like in, in Discovery <laughs> or in, in yeah. Tracks. Uh, it actually looks almost identical to the TNG turbo lift. Yeah, turbo I was going to say, they, they didn't just make a normal looking turbo lift. They, they copied almost exactly the TNG turbo lift. Um, so I, I guess... That was such again, a weird flex for discovery to uh decide we need this wild uh i don't know kelvin verse style fly through of the inner workings of a ship that looked like it was you know the size of a planet that's that's one of the things i love most about lower decks is the stuff doesn't even like stand out to me it just feels so natural and normal like it's a normal klingon i don't even think about it till later after i watch the episode and i was like oh yeah it was a normal klingon for the first time in years (laughs) or like you know like why would you even think anything about this this is the turbo lift shaft but it's like oh no it's just like a normal turbo lift shaft like it's not (laughs) supposed to be uh remarkable in any way Again, you have to sort of suspend your disbelief that the crew members are just going to ignore warning signs and nearly get crew members, other crew members killed. But uh, that just seems to be par for the course in this show. Yeah, that was a dick move, Shax. Yeah. <laughs> That's how, um, uh, what, Emilio Estevez got killed in uh, the first Mission Impossible movie. He got Spoilers. elevated and splattered. Oh. <laughs> 
I haven't seen that since I saw it in the theater. <laughs> That's the last time I saw it. Yeah, I, I saw it on VHS in like 1994, 95, whenever it came out, and I haven't seen it again since then. Uh, I was bored with it. I should probably watch it now that I'm It's a pretty good I'm movie. I like it. There's no gunplay. It's yeah. all it's all twisty spice. Yeah, my, I, have a, I have a good friend who tells me I should definitely revisit it. Maybe I will someday, but I'm too busy watching Star Trek all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess we should stay on topic. <laughs> uh, the... the carbon filter cleaning i was correct by the way when we watched the trailer and i was like i think that's a big carbon filter it probably takes all of the uh the carbon out of the 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 atmosphere so they can recycle oxygen but i was i've been wondering for like a year because i was at star trek las vegas and and mike mcmahon was there talking about lower decks and like some of the the tasks and stuff that these people do and and one of the things that he mentioned was uh scraping carbon off of slightly harder carbon and it was kind of like an end joke between him and one of the writers that was there with him i i've I've been wondering since then like what does that mean that must be from a line of dialogue scraping carbon off of slightly harder carbon so i finally know now but they have they have carbon cleaning races it seems odd that the phaser is the ideal tool to do this. You I think like they'd have the, some specialized mechanism. I agree, Brian. I, yeah. I like that they they use the phaser for a bunch of stuff, like removing the graffiti. Uh, like, Father, you episode. like to see it more as a tool and less as a weapon for injury? Not just <laughs> that, but, you know, as like a familiar device, and I like them kind of adding something to it. It's the same. That, that is true. Roddenberry wanted the phaser to be depicted yes. as a tool in the next generation that also just happened to kill people. Like but, you... but it was, it was, it had many, <laughs> many other functions. Like the time I accidentally killed somebody with a blowtorch. Hey, hammers, chainsaws. I mean, come on. But no. way back in the original series, if you look at uh, the enemy within the first time we see someone heat up rocks with a phaser, you know, they were doing it all the way back then in early TOS episodes. Yeah. I just, if they were on the ground on, a, on an alien planet cleaning a carbon filter with a phaser, I would have said, well, of course. But then they're in the ship. I was like, really? They don't have a better tool for this? But who knows? <laughs> Maybe that's the best tool, I guess. So. Yeah, the, the commander sees that uh, the captain's plan is not working. Mariner continues to enjoy herself. And that's when the, the captain gets the idea of, of promoting Mariner she brings her into the conference room and congratulations, you're a lieutenant now. I do want to say the captain, it says something about uh, Captain uh, Freeman that she doesn't know what goes on on a holodeck. She must be just, uh, even a bigger square than Boimler because Boimler <laughs> knows what goes on on a holodeck and she doesn't. So that's, she's a bigger square than Boimler, which is pretty square. <laughs> And I guess that could explain some of why Mariner's just so annoyed with her. If we're actually seeing her dialed back and that she can get much worse than this. I guess in a sense she did with the micromanage episode. Well, she's made a number of what I would call pretty bad command decisions. uh, Whether it's taking the uh, credit for the lower decks work in episode one or trying to get her daughter to quit the ship by annoying her. (laughs) (laughs) See, I actually enjoyed that just because, you know, mom does know how to get your goat and the, the mom is the only one who can get Mariner's goat and, and she does and Mariner gets all annoyed and frustrated because, but you know, and I was like, all right, yeah, Mariner's finally getting what she deserves. I, I see a little bit of of them giving me a little bit of reason to like Captain Freeman in this episode, but beyond that, I really haven't had much reason to like her at all. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hoping that we'll get a similar moment to what we had last week where... Oh, I really like Commander Ransom now. 
I want to see an episode like that that showcases Captain Freeman's positive traits and kind of uh, gives me a reason to root for her on occasion. Uh, I don't mind her trying to get her daughter to transfer. Like, she tried to talk to her admiral husband about that, and she's apparently going to have to get her off herself, uh, get her get her removed from the ship herself. But, uh, Sorry, I was just laughing at the terminology. <laughs> yeah, well, I tried to correct myself, but it was too late. All right. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, Boimler freaks out because he's like, oh, my God, you're a, a, a senior grade, a, a full lieutenant, no less. She has the two gold pips, so she just skipped uh, junior grade. Um, I guess it, it, it's not as bad as how Kirk went from third-year cadet to, to captain in uh, uh, 48 hours. Yeah, well, that was an alternate timeline where weird things happened. But... <laughs> Yeah, here we ha- also have the the argument between the the senior officers, which this actually made me laugh. Was the uh, the conversation about replacing the chairs in their their conference room? Um, yeah, because I I don't mind poking fun at next generation and it's like boring conference room stuff they did. I I think with that show being as popular as it is, it's okay to you're not you're not punching down when yeah. you uh, poke fun at TNG of, of any Star Trek show. You know, yeah. uh, there's there's a certain degree, uh, uh, like after a like a while where because they also in that episode they they were poking fun uh, at again at the kind of like the um, don't they somewhere in here the the hoity toity um, uh, violiny type stuff like uh, Mariner or what's his name uh, Boimler, Boimler, Boimler last week wasn't there was... something else with that in this episode? Yeah, well, they, when they get to her management training, and uh, <laughs> and the uh, it's almost like a talent show type thing. Right, right. And it's all very, very much kind of like a turn to 11 TNG sort of yes. goofiness. Um, uh, occasionally I would find it like, I, I would think it'd be cool. Um, there's, there's, uh, it feels a little love Haiti with me uh, at this point uh, uh, because they, they, they sort of bring up the, I don't know, lameness of TNG uh, often enough. Do they though? See? Like, I—that's never really been done beyond this this TV show. This is the first time the franchise has ever been like. Maybe they shouldn't have done it. <laughs> I mean, like for me, like I kind of have like a little bit of frustration with TNG. I love the Next Generation, but there, there aren't are a many couple people... of DS Nine swipes at TNG, like Garrett going on about how he hates Earl Grey tea. <laughs> well, uh, when you're like the best Star Trek show, it's okay to poke fun at the. I don't want to yeah. say most overrated, but uh, well, I'll say like third or fourth best. <laughs> to some degree, I feel like uh, TNG, even though it uh, is often a favorite, uh, that, that it's not like it's felt like inviolable because people have talked for ages about like, oh yeah, the first two seasons are unwatchable. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Everybody, crit- yeah. you know, will e- easily critique that Troy never, you know, really didn't have great, great episodes other than one or two. So. Um, it, it definitely has taken its shots, I guess, over the years, or, or gotten its licks, rather. Yeah. But they're they're debating the the chair with the uh, the leather stripe, which might be too ostentatious, or the <laughs> the bar stools that Shaq says are uncomfortable. And when uh, Commander Billups, the engineer, tells him, "Well, you're not sitting in them right," he gets all mad and pulls a wharf. He's like, "I've killed better men for less." <laughs> I have to agree. I think the the, the barstool style is not a comfortable format. So I, I know uh, we we disagree there because I'm, I'm I identify with Shax here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Mariner is just miserable because who the hell wouldn't be? <laughs> yeah. 
she gets the the bigger room the bigger quarters and i thought it was interesting that like she didn't like it because she's lonely boimler is all jealous he's like don't you like having all this space and she's like no i'm far away from everyone no that was i i did like how effective that the 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 you know the promotion worked as a punishment. I, I actually really yeah. enjoyed that. I also, this was the episode, I think I've mentioned it, but this is the episode where I really want to see, where I realized I really want to see a Boimler impresses the captain because Boimler and the captain kind of approach life largely the same way. I'm seeing that more and more. And there should be a moment where the captain realizes that Boimler is like the best potential officer and then ever. mariner gets jealous you could do like the thing where like the kid is jealous of like the parent bonding with this other kid yeah no that would I be could great sort of see that happening yeah. Yeah. in the first episode when she asked him to spy she seemed a little bit like she was like she's like i can see like like a little condescending like i know you're kind yeah. of a toady you're actually a little too nerdy and uh you know dot every yeah. i uh cross every t and so i think you're just the right person for this job uh, but yeah, I can see her at some point kind of coming around and seeing that uh, that he has a certain uh, apple polisher effectiveness. <laughs> yes. But this is where Boimler gets the idea of like, oh, they want you to be a rule breaker. Well, I'm going to I'm going to break the rules. I'm going to get promoted, too. And uh, my, I watched this with my girlfriend, Antonia, and, and she actually thought that they could have done more with this. She thought that this was going to be potentially a lot funnier but they didn't really do much with it because the idea of like him trying to be a bad boy is kind of hilarious that's that's where i'm it's, saying like this episode i wish some of the was jokes like were... smoking in the turbo lift <laughs> what, i guess what do they call their what do they call the the their death stick cigarettes and <laughs> uh salt sucks or something like that no from from picard what was the ones that oh wrote the me? snake leaf what is it snake leaf Snake leaf, yeah, yeah. He yeah. should have been sneaking in some snake he's, leaf in the restaurant. He's going to vape some snake leaf, maybe. But. <laughs> See, I, I have to go the other way with this. I have seen so many of the, oh, the dumb guy thinks that, uh, oh, if I have to be me, I have to be mean or rude in order to get what I want. And so then they run around comically being mean or rude, even though they're a nice guy and everyone's all offended and they look stupid. I am so tired of that trope in sitcoms. I was glad that it only lasted basically mm. two scenes, the setup and then the payoff, and that was it. And I was really glad. So what glad. does he do? I, I actually forget. What, what is it he does? We'll, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's just one thing. Yeah. Um, Dramatic setup. But, yeah, Mariner is having to audit the audits with Commander Ransom. <laughs> that made me laugh out loud. I thought that was funny. And he's like, now you get to audit the audits. Because that felt very TNG. TNG-ish. Yeah, but that also, that, that also feels like kind of decent workplace humor, kind of office space style. Yeah and, yeah, and then the the captain doing her spoken jazz thing. And... I thought that was a lot of fun. I was like, ah, this is much better than that screaming loud stuff that her daughter does. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, Mariner did not uh, think so. She was, uh, she was <laughs> so miserable Mortified. <laughs> because her mom is going da 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 da. Or whatever, nothing what do you, what do you call nothing that? Uh, hotter on the on, on a starship than a scatting contest. Yeah, when, when yeah. she's like a like vocal jazz is a lot like captaining. It's all about the notes you don't scat. <laughs> and then she brings this guy onto the stage. It's so smart. This is all supposed to be part of some like manager training or something. Um, but she brings on this guy with like the dork dorkiest name I've ever heard next to Brad Boimler. Lieutenant Winger Bringston Jr. And he's going to do the <laughs> U- United Federation of Characters. 
And then he, he turns around and he's like, oh, I didn't see you beam down there. So I, I think he was about to do like a one-man play where he like plays like a bunch of different characters or something. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I could see how that would not be fun to watch. Oh, it depends on how it's performed. But yeah, it's a certainly the sort of thing Mariner would have hated. So Now, where the jokes really fell flat for me was during the executive poker thing. Because I kind of feel like poker is such distinctly and uniquely TNG. I know, like, other Star Trek shows will occasionally have, like, people playing it, cards. It was but... TNG's thing. Like, yeah, yeah like, like TNG broke away from Spock and Kirk playing chess to play poker. It was honestly, for a show that was kind of nerdy, uh, I felt like it was, like, their slightly forced attempt to show, hey, these guys sometimes do cool stuff. And uh, and they were still a little bit nerdy when they did their cool stuff. <laughs> um, but that was what, that's what TNG was. So, um... Yeah, I, I, th- th- this was one of the other ones. I guess that coupled with the kind of the previous uh, talent show type thing and the other stuff made me feel like they were maybe a little punching down at TNG. You can't punch down at TNG. It's on the top. Yeah, yeah, uh, there's that, yeah. Well, like, that is to say, or maybe I, I should say they were they were using cheap jokes. Like, like yeah, I think, that I, I think, I think it was unclever. I, I, yeah. I, I, if this, if some of this material had been written a little bit smarter, and some of it I liked, you know, so like I laughed out loud at audit the audits, and I, I actually thought that some of the, the talent show type stuff was funny, but like here yeah. it's just like everyone folds, and it's like, oh, you, yeah, well, I guess like on TNG they did fold a lot, but is that like a, was, was that like a weird thing? Yeah. Is that like something worth? commenting the, on here it just seemed it seems weird. like the executive officer that we saw in the previous episode ripping his shirt off and all of that i can't remember the exo's name but ransom uh, ransom jack, jack ransom does ransom seem like a guy who's gonna be all wussy while playing poker no like he's supposed no. to be like kind of a, a rikerish type guy so yeah. what should have happened is like like he goes all in and wins but yeah <laughs> instead instead i think there should have been uh un- unintended uh sexual tension as he and uh mariner having like a uh are the last two at the you know in a hand yeah. standing oh, yeah. and, and they suddenly like beads of sweat start forming on their foreheads and you see close-ups of their hands touching the cards and Anyway, yeah. that, that, that would have been a little better. bit oddball with it like that. No, it was a missed opportunity, and and I, I like the more like character driven stuff. So I would have loved if they would have acknowledged that uh, attraction that was established in the previous episode between the two of them. And I I, I get the vibes that this show is going to be a little bit like TNG, and they'll just like they'll just drop a plot point until like they feel like bringing it up again, like two, three episodes or a season down the line or whatever. <laughs> um, kind of like how uh, we, we like to talk about X-Men a lot on text track, kind of like how Chris Claremont would write X-Men comics, You'd bring <laughs> something up and then just ignore it for like three years and then bring it up again. <laughs> but yeah. I, don't, I don't know if they're going to do that. I would have liked to have built on that stuff last week because I really liked that. And I'm, I'm curious to see where that goes. I think that's really interesting. It, yeah, it kind of I compromises the... Mariner, and it kind of uh, humanizes Ransom and makes him more likable. Yeah, and when I saw Mariner sitting at the poker table, I was like, ah, she's going to take them all to town. She's going to be awesome at this. But somehow, no. So and <laughs> I, it just kind of fizzled. So and, Yeah, it was just dumb when Shax is like, we don't go all in. Like, we don't do that. It's, like, too aggressive. We, we, we're just a friendly game or whatever. As... And Shax is the guy who's threatening people over chair yeah. decoration design earlier, you know. Yeah, not, not as thoughtful as I think some of the other episodes have been. But the, as Brian pointed out, the punishment does work. Mariner is miserable, and uh, you know, I, the, I guess from the captain's point of view, she thinks she's going to get her wish. She's going to finally get her off of the Cerritos. But 
Um, one other thing I want to mention is that Mariner is an ops. She has like the gold uniform because she's an ops now. Uh, now the, the typical ops officer we see is Ensign Barnes, that Trill that was going on a date with Rutherford in the first episode. And she's only an ensign. So with Mariner being a full lieutenant, does she like outrank Barnes and become like the, the official ops officer now? Is that what just happened? It doesn't explain it, but I'm just I'm just speculating. Yeah, or yeah just... I don't know. <laughs> well, let's let's put a pin in uh, Mariner and Freeman and talk about some of the the Tindy O'Connor stuff. Yeah, and... Tindy is still my favorite character by far. I I I'm annoyed that she's not generally more central to the plot lines because yeah. I generally love almost everything she does, and uh, I I continue to even even this plot line where she screws up big time. I actually liked quite a bit. And she tries to present the Hyvarian metronome to try to help get Lieutenant O'Connor back. Uh, yeah. synced up with his spirituality. The the Ascension thing is just so weird. And it, 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 it's kind of unfathomable to think that, like, in Star Trek, like, this is, like, a, a normal thing that, like, some people just do this. And, like, you can go and watch it happen, but... Well, I actually we... missed, did they say, was it from some particular culture or another? Like, it does seem like the kind of thing, you know, every once in a while somebody would come on, on the Enterprise and TNG or any of the other shows and be like, oh, it's been my life's dream to, you know, I've, I've been pursuing watching this uh, supernova collapse or or, you know, whatever, or... You know, to see an android like Data. So you sometimes see people when they get their big moments in their life. It happens on the on the on a starship. Yeah, but so, it's just so, like a little weird. Like, oh, I'm gonna just turn into a god, and if I work really hard, it'll happen. There are some we, examples. I of guess it, it happens there, often enough on Star Trek. <laughs> yes, that, that there's some sort of ascension like that. that I, I, they I've were collected sort of some examples it as if it was beca- had become prosaic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's just it, it, it was just weird to me how casual they treat it. I guess. Yeah. And I do wish that there was a little techno babbly explanation where he's like, "Oh yeah, like I like exposed myself to some type of like binary star radiation, or like right. I, I like I, I've been reading up on, be on the traveler, or something like you know, that." Yeah, yeah, like just like give me like some type of like scientific explanation, or like maybe he's part of an alien race that they have like an ancient technique or something. I don't know, but it's just <laughs> weird that like this guy named Lieutenant O'Connor uh, could could do this, <laughs> but uh, they, yeah, um... he's. Oh, good. Go ahead, brother. I was gonna say, like, he's he's pissed at Tindy, who is who is uh, as we learn, she can't stand it when someone doesn't like her, and so her big uh, struggle in this episode is like, how do I like this guy like me instead of hating me? Yeah, and um, I love enough. Well, go ahead, go ahead. Brian. I love hyper hyper Tendi trying to do serene. And yet she's trying to do it in her usual hyperactive, all in, uh, you know, dialed up to 11 way that she does everything. But by definition, that can't be serenity. And she can't really yeah. communicate or interact or, or even really understand what it is she's chasing. <laughs> it, it's something you can't her... force. It's something that like sheer enthusiasm and energy and effort can't force on onto someone. Yes. I presume and, that she uh, must not be a spiritually type spiritually minded type person herself well at least not that type of religion anyway um but and, and, she's and then the other guy she's huh? like, like in her approach her like multicultural approach to yeah. help lieutenant o'connor i think i think that expresses some level of open-mindedness yeah uh, again i really like her just we got a new versatility set. we got a new set by the way when we see the uh, the mess hall that they're they're eating in we had not uh, uh seen that before 
And yeah, no, I guess so. That that's true. I hadn't even noticed that. I was um he's got tacos. Yeah, but apparently yeah. these tacos and pudding are not as good as the ones that the senior officers have access to. But, <laughs> but he's still some, really excited uh, about that gringo pudding. tacos. <laughs> well the uh Rutherford was like really into that pudding and he's really into the tractor beam in this episode, and that's kinda all he does. So he takes the back seat. With this half hour format, they kinda have a hard time showcasing all four characters and that's understandable there, there's typically at least one one person who has to take a back seat for the other three and boimler too boimler has the least to do in this episode of the four we've seen yes it was very light on him um the i i, I also there was also the irony that o'connor is clearly has no amount of zen in him at all about his whole situation like if you were truly on the verge of enlightenment you wouldn't care that you failed yeah <laughs> you well, know? that's how we learn he's a poser and she well, calls yes. him out on that but but she can't even wreck she has so little understanding of serenity that she can't even call him on that really oh, yeah until she doesn't she's just even... looking inward she has kind of like that like that insecurity that kind of turns like a little like egocentric and she's only thinking of like herself and what she's doing wrong and she's not really uh paying attention to him yeah. Uh, one of our uh, commenters, All Star Guru, say, says uh, Mexican food for the California class uh, ship. It's a staple. I like. Yeah. That. Um, <laughs> as as a uh, lifelong Texan, I I only eat Mexican food within uh, the state of Texas or within Mexico. Um, but uh, I don't, I've heard, don't hate on their fish tacos. I've, I've heard I've heard some uh, some people uh, cheer for. For Cali Mexican food, but I, I don't think it'd be my jam, bro. I'm sorry. Um, that said, it, like it, they did look like hard shell tacos, uh, which which is is on the gringo side of things. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's talk about the uh, the two ships and the uh, the tractor beam mission and the chaos that that ensues here from Captain Durango. By the way, I like that the bridge of his ship has the green. L cars so that you just that visual indicator that you know which ship you're on. It's just like a little neat idea, I think. But I guess he was he was jealous. It's, it's kind of like that Tellerite like pridefulness and stubbornness, and he wanted he wanted to uh, have the the more prestigious job, and for some reason, moving their ship closer was gonna. Uh, represent that and it just kind of makes me think i've been rooting for for more tellerites i want more tellerite representation damn it and i see this and i'm like oh tellerites kind of (laughs) suck well my reaction was all starfleet captains apparently are idiots in this unit or if you're a california class the california class captains yeah like they all have a chip on their shoulder they're all like i gotta prove myself i i I can't let my crew embarrass me yeah i I suppose they're the first, the first Tellerite we ever saw kind of sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. His name Gav. But um, what a jerk! You want to talk about just like the 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 vessels getting moist when the <laughs> uh, that cloud of terraform goo comes out and gets sucked up the tractor beam and and gets onto both ships. 
I was... did like that the mechanics of that actually made some sort of sense that you would could rip off a whole plate, that ripping it off would let stuff leak out, and that the tractor beam would actually just pull the stuff right onto your ship. I was like, yeah, we didn't need to do any sort of weird muon flow bullshit at all. It all made perfect sense. I, I was I was quietly pleased with how elegant that was. The, the visual representation of it with the tractor beams, you know, pulling the stuff to the ships all worked really well. It, I, I do continue to enjoy the animation on this show and the terraforming effect was cool where these things turn into ice and crystals and mm-hmm. rock and plants and of course this is like the worst time ever to like show how insubordinate you are and this is when boimler chooses <laughs> to pour a cup of coffee into commander ransom's lap and he's just like what the hell is wrong with you <laughs> this is uh yeah. this is like his uh his sad timing uh during the talent show when he's when he got ripped a new one I do have to say, I wonder, would Mariner ever actually do that to somebody without a really good reason? Um, uh, I don't think so, but... Uh, I mean, she was drunk and she cut up Boimler's leg, but I don't yeah, think that was intentional. That was an accident. <laughs> yeah, that was an accident. This was straight so, up on purpose. Yeah, so so he's actually worse than Mariner when he tries to be bad. <laughs> uh, he's bad at being bad. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> they, um, I did like... Well, I think it's a scene that's coming up had one of my favorite lines in it from Tendi as the uh, coral is, uh, like, closing in oh. on she and what's his name? Yeah, the, the damn you beautiful coral with her. Or damn, yeah, damn this gorgeous coral. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before that, there is this one cool little moment that, to me, it's very important that they put these beats in here, like these little, like, Starfleet being Starfleet, doing, like, heroic stuff or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we see Commander Billups, the chief engineer. We, we don't really know this guy. He's just kind of boring. Looks like Jeff Foxworthy. But he finds, like, a like an injured crew member in the corridor while like this these vines or whatever is being terraformed is like coming up the corridor and he grabs this guy up and escorts him out of there and throws up the emergency force field and they cut away from it pretty quick but i just like those those little starfleet beats that they sprinkle in it's it it would be hard for me to enjoy the show if they didn't uh remind me that there's starfleet from time to time see i took that as a nobody's actually dying here, so don't get too worried or upset, <laughs> you know, kind of statement. Um, that that they, I think, I didn't they sort of do that with the zombies as well, that uh, that they kind of want to reassure people that no, we're not actually killing people here. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think anyone's died on the show yet, even though they do kind of tease it later with Lieutenant O'Connor. Mm. Um, it, I like that um, they remind us that Mariner is like a really sharp cat. She's on top of her shit, knows what's going on, and the terraforming is going on and, and she's she can like sus- suspect it a little bit where, where she's like wait like the humidity is changing the temperature is fluctuating or yeah. something weird is going down uh but th- there is a, a oh another cool rutherford moment when we're seeing all these weird environmental changes on on the ship we see like the cyborg vision from his his vulcan implant when he's like running through the corridor it's like targeting uh like obstacles to i guess maneuver around or something it's like a little cool action beat. The, the show with the animated budget, it can do a slightly more heightened action than we would get in the live action stuff. And it it's not jarring. It still kind of fits with the Star Trek universe. Yeah, it's true. And we also get cool visuals like the uh, the ships with all of that weird multicolored... Uh, it looks, oh, you know what it looks like? is uh, Metamorpho from DC Comics. <laughs> who is basically a man who can turn into uh, all kinds of weird uh, vegetables or minerals or... Whatever. He's got plastic man type type powers, but he also is kind of a little bit more 
amorphous and uh, weirdly colorful than than Plastic Man. So yeah. But yeah, the engineering section is flooded, and uh, Tindy is stuck with O'Connor trapped behind the gorgeous coral. Uh, it is kind of neat how they animated it, and this is where they get their heart to heart, where he admits that like. Yeah, I didn't actually know how to ascend. I was just being a jerk. And we also get the little pink glowy explosives that, for, for some reason, the terraform goo creates. Um, there's a little nod to the animated series, maybe, to make, like, the weird object pink. Like, as many <laughs> out-of-place things are pink in the animated series. But I guess Tindy declares that they're friends now because they were both uh, they were both being jerks. Um, and again, that's what I love Tendy for when when he reveals that he basically had been letting her feel this horrible guilt all this time. Her reaction is completely different than almost anyone else's, but is still perfectly in keeping with who she is. And I really like that about it, that they that they were able to walk that line between being completely unpredictable and yet it all makes sense when you look at it from Tendy's point of view. So very nicely done. And uh, she also is the one who uh, frees them. She rescues them by using the, the convenient pink explosive to uh, blow a hole in the wall and uh, they escape. Or do they? Having all these explosives go off near the warp core <laughs> is not a problem. I would be <laughs> concerned about the warp core getting terraformed and having like a warp core breach or something. But luckily that didn't <laughs> happen. But unluckily a piece of debris is about to fall on Tindy. And O'Connor does the heroic cliche thing, pushes her out of the way, takes the hit himself. And the, the show That's got the me here. same shtick I did in my Star Trek role-playing game with a couple of PCs a few months, a month ago. <laughs> well, apparently, uh, one of your, one of your players is, uh, in the Lower Decks writer's room. Apparently. They're, they're <laughs> leaking, they're leaking his plot points. Yes. I kind of thought that O'Connor was going to die here. I guess like, just like the way that they hold on Tindy's reaction, like in the heat of the moment, it just kind of tricked me. I was like, yeah. oh, I guess they're actually going to kill a person. I guess I'm supposed to be sad right now. Yeah. Would you say your eyes got moist? Uh, <laughs> no. But if they did, that'd be a perfectly fine, normal reaction. And there's nothing wrong with describing it with that word. <laughs> Uh, My eyes were as moist as a Duncan Hines cake. (laughs) Neat. Uh, Let's talk about, again, what I said was my favorite stuff with the mother-daughter stuff when we see uh, Captain Freeman and Ensign Mariner side by side. You do kind of notice similarities in how they're animated, how they're drawn. They actually look like mother and daughter when you have them side by side. And she's being so critical, which I know is something like a lot of people relate to with their parents about how like, Oh, everything you do is either wrong or not quite right. And they got to point yeah. out to you what you're doing. Like, shouldn't you be using a pointing or rock? Yeah. No, I, I began to at least say, okay, now I can see why Mariner hates, or at least acts like she hates her mom so much. Uh, that, that helped at least uh, balance the equation, though I still think it's a pretty awful equation. But uh, from a, you know, their, their, their relationship is bad. But, uh, yeah. Well, I want to know why. I wish they would have teased a, a little bit of why, and that's yeah. that's as far as the stuff goes. That's my my only complaint. Yeah, it could have been something simple like you've been like this ever since Terok Seven or something, you know, whatever, and just some hint that there was yeah. an event, or just like know. just like add to the mystery a little bit, but still reveal something at the same time. Uh, I also think this is the first time we saw a turbo. I mean, not a turbo lift chef. This is the first time we saw a Jeffries tube in the show. 
No, but uh, uh, Rutherford was climbing around in them. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. We will. Yeah, yeah. We saw the interior. Never mind. I take that yeah. back. This is the first time we saw like. Well, no, we saw someone come out of the the port like this before. I don't know why it looks different. I guess because the red alert lighting, which I do <laughs> love, like the the Tron Legacy style, like red alert lighting that they have. I, I do love that they ran multiple red alert lights through all the Jeffrey's tubes. <laughs> yeah. Well, in case Rutherford has been in there for a week, he needs to know. Yeah, I suppose so. They, they get to the transporter room and they're going to use. Uh, they're going to tech the tech and use perazine gas, which was the uh, convenient science construct, the episode that they made up. That basically like undoes what the, the terraform goo does. And, and involves the navigational deflector because, of course, it does. <laughs> yeah, um, you got to use the deflector. I will say that they, I'm pretty sure I haven't double checked it, but the, the graphic, the Okudagram for the transporter console is the actual one from Next Generation, I believe. Looking at it, I remember the layout well enough that I'm pretty sure that's they just copied it wholesale as opposed to making their own version of it. Yeah. I also see it has a 4-7 on there, so the magical oh. Star Trek number 47 is yeah, uh, that... present and accounted for. Uh, but I think I think you're probably right, Brian. You're pretty on top of it with that stuff. And I know that Mike Okuda did uh, help them with the show to recreate all that stuff. Um, and I like here where we see, like, the first moment of, of I guess, like, mother and daughter liking each other when when Mariner is, like, happy. Or I'm, I'm sorry, when uh, Captain Freeman is happy that uh, Mariner is, oh, you actually, like, read my briefing and, uh, you know, knew what was going on with this stuff and figured out how to fix it. And I like yeah. that, that little, like, shared moment between the two of them. We get we get I, a little bit of this. I, I think Mom wants to like Mariner. It's just she wants Mariner to be who she wants her to be. And and so that's getting in the way of her actually liking Mariner as in who she is. And apparently Mariner's only way of coping with that, dysfun- uh, that disconnect is to just drive Mom nuts all the time. So, yeah. They flood the gas, they radiate it with the deflector, and uh, I like when they have, like, that montage of all the different parts of the ship are now, like, unterraformed. Uh, they, they show the conference room, and they have uh, Vindome, the Bolian from last week. Uh, like, he pops his head up from the table, and, like, we know he's safe. For whatever reason, it's, like, that's little corny stuff like that. Like, it, it warms my heart in, like, a, a kind of, like, a wholesome way that after three seasons of Star Trek, where it's just, like, constant, like, murder and people getting eyes ripped out and uh the stuff that we've gotten in discovery and picard and i do enjoy those shows i i I am so glad to have all these star trek shows on the air i'm so thrilled to be watching discovery and picard but But they don't reflect some of those elements of uh tng and past treks that uh that are a little bit more uh wholesome and a little sometimes they're a little lurid (laughs) it was just just this show has been a very much a breath of fresh air for me yeah and it's refreshing yeah they they don't have the goo recede and show corpses lying everywhere (laughs) yeah and and i think it wouldn't be funny if they did like the comedy would not work yeah if they went that dark with it so and that's a difference i think where they they should go to the mirror universe and do an episode where it is a super messed up dark comedy. <laughs> uh, what would Mirror Universe Boimler be like? He's actually like a he's like the captain of their ship. I, I think he'd be the same anal retentive, detail oriented, but he'd be like commanding and demanding of everyone else live up to his expectations. Or what if what if he's still a dweeb in the Mirror Universe, and then Boimler is so disappointed that he's like, even in, in like the opposite universe, I still suck. Like how could that be? <laughs> it's like the Xander duplicates in Buffy. 
Um, <laughs> they were both kind of alike. They're just both doofuses. Uh, the evil and good one. Um, uh, they also did in the uh, Star Trek Mirror Universe comics where they covered TNG, they somewhat showed that because we saw Barkley, uh, I think... Oh, yeah. He's literally issues. the whipping boy in the in the Mirror Universe. He's, uh, Brian, that, that, that comic opens up with Barkley. He works in engineering on the Stargazer under Picard's command. And he's, like, literally being, like, whipped by the chief engineer to, like, like <laughs> run around and, like... <laughs> Replace the dilithium crystals and whatever. But he also does a uh, Julius Caesar and uh, does a literal backstab yeah. uh, before the story is out. So um, um, we got to talk oh, about here. This we ascension. get to the romantic moment of the episode. Yeah, it's it was a little weird that they just like start kissing, but like, well, Tindy's an Orion. She probably has like that like that uh, heightened uh, sexuality where she's probably like, plus hey, Tendi's either. I like you. Let's make out. Yeah, and and Tendi is all or nothing. You know, she's either we're either either yeah. you're just my friend or we're gonna get naked. I mean, those a, a, a person it's of all extremes. or nothing with her. So, uh, but yeah, it's like the kiss was so magical. He begins to float in the air and uh, turn into Doctor Manhattan. <laughs> the animation on this was so cool. I love like just like insane, colorful stuff. The, uh, the Kirby dots. Anyone out there who's into comic book art knows what I'm talking about. When he's just like bouncing around in there and just like spouting all this insane stuff, like like a like time is meaningless. I can see everything. <laughs> yeah, they kind of played up the uh, the notion of like ascending to godhood, which happens often enough in Star Trek. That it wouldn't necessarily be this uh, uh, awe-inspiring, beautiful moment, but kind of a terrifying, uh, chaotic <laughs> shock to yeah. the system. It reminds me of, like, Charlie X, when Charlie was like, I want to stay. It's kind of like that, where it's like, I don't know what's going on with this guy, but I'm kind of, like, scared and worried about him. And just, like, the, the I thought the, the visuals were stunning enough when he makes, like, that big uh, energy bird thing form around yeah. him, and he opens the the portal and sees the koala bear that the universe well, is centered on the back. I, I of. like him name checking space Lincoln before that. That was amazing. Yes. <laughs> uh, but it just like, the, the, like this only works if like you're so batshit that it's just like so absurd and crazy. And yeah, like the, the and just like the dialogue here where he's like, uh, the universe is balanced on the back of a koala. Why is he smiling? What does he know? <laughs> It was very funny, but I kind of wanted the, that to be the place where we stick a big great bird of the galaxy reference in. I think that would have been a, you could have had, I see the great bird of the galaxy, you know. Yeah, right but they had just done great bird of the galaxy last week. So <laughs> it, was, it could be funny in both places. The context is very different. So it would help explain what was going on with the statue and stuff in the in the previous episode. <laughs> yeah, well maybe when he turned into that bird thing, maybe that was what the great great birds of the galaxy are. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, the the ascension stuff it was so wacky and I I don't was... really think it harms anything like yeah. it's just like this visualization that this guy saw when he turned into a godlike alien, which is a thing that happens sometimes in Star Trek. Yes. I, don't, I don't interpret this as like the Star Trek universe is actually balanced on the back of a giant koala bear. Like calm down, <laughs> like it doesn't matter. Like this is supposed to be beyond our understanding. What you saw <laughs> is a is a glimpse of of like Q level type shit. So yeah. so check yourself. 
I, I, I was fine with it. Certainly, I mean, we've we've seen the Enterprise basically make that little Ascension baby in Emergence, which was a dumb episode, but it is absolutely canon. So this feels, you know, no weirder <laughs> than that. That the, uh, you know, this guy's at least trying to do some sort of weird higher life form thing, um, at least on some level, even if it's kind of a uh, a, a a gag or a, a break. Um, I did like uh, earlier. I forgot to mention we see Tendi finally lose it and get upset with something when when she finally gets fed up with him uh, yes. earlier in the choral scene. That isn't that like the first time that she's actually been unhappy. Yeah, like, that's the first like, time we see her. Well, she was unhappy when she was overworked last week, but that was the first time we saw her like overtly angry, yeah, hostile. Yeah, where she's really, really upset with with you know giving up on the world around her on some sort of level or something. <laughs> So oh. I thought that was noteworthy that something finally pushed her too far and broke the endless optimism. <laughs> well, finally we have the USS Merced is just fucked beyond any hope and they have to beam that crew onto the generation ship that we've already established is not really a generation ship. Uh, so they rescue uh, dumbass Captain Durango and his crew. And then... Freeman and Mariner, they uh, they smile at each other and then they hug. And then they do that kind of funny cartoony thing where they're like, what am I doing? And then they, <laughs> they stop and go back to like having their backs turned to each other. But I like that. It's a very tropey but also effective way to explain that like, yes, there is a lot of love and sentiment between the two of them. Well- and neither it, I, one of them is handling it very well right now. I didn't notice it at the time, but my looking back on it, there's something. Um, Freeman always wants, uh, wants his wants her daughter back. She wants her daughter, and she wants her daughter to be a specific way, the perfect daughter that she has in her mind. And at that moment, it felt. Now that I think about it. Why does she get break off the hug? Why does she find the hug weird? She's got what she wanted all the time for this moment. She's got her daughter back. Now, I can totally see Mariner saying, oh, no, no, no. I can't be nice to mom. I can't be nice to Nam. And well, we kind of get that in the next scene before like the yeah. Admiral comes in. I think I think Captain Free... I mean, first of all, it's just kind of like that funny visual gag. But yeah. I, 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 We don't know the full story of like their resentment between one another. And yes. I, I think she's like... It's like, no, I'm mad at you. You were just calling me Carol when we were rappelling down the turbo lift shaft. Like, uh, what did what is uh, for, what did Freeman want her daughter to do instead of what she's doing? She just wanted like her to transfer because she's What's tired. That? She's well, she's tired of her being insubordinate, so she wanted well, her right. to well, be transferred. Uh, I was trying to remember because Brian said uh, she wants her to be the perfect daughter, and I'm like, it feels more like she just wants her to be less uh, like not insubordinate <laughs> well she's the picking on on the rock and every other little thing no she's got this very perfect idea of what the perfect mariner should be and she's she's not good she's gonna keep nibbling away at mariner until she gets that perfect yeah. mariner in, in the turbo um, lift she says that you you keep acting like a child so i keep treating you like a child yeah and uh mind you this creates this horrible circular feedback loop between the two of them but um uh I guess this goo when they when they gas the goo it it switches off uh it re- reverts everything back to its original shape and form is that so the, is that right 
only way I think it works is if the goo is not so much transforming matter, but it's like transforming itself on the matter. I don't know. It's like, it doesn't make sense because, yeah, like how does like the gas and the radiation reverse it? But then how does a transporter combine Neelix and Tuvix's soul into one person? <laughs> so it's just kind of like the, the price of admission with Star Trek is you have to buy the... Uh, the weird sci-fi technology sometimes because it has to be reversing the the structures on the ship otherwise the ship would when all the goo went away would be i guess it's smart goo uh, it's like intelligent goo it like, yeah. like understands like the the yeah yeah they, I mean, yeah, they might be it. yeah it is a designed goo it's not some accidental thing so it could have an undo button and the gas triggers yeah. the undo the, button the gas is the control and the uh, radiation from the deflector is the Z key. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Something. It makes sense that it would have an undo button uh, if it was designed. It would be a good safety system to include in something this Smart aggressive. terraformers, these colonists. Too better they didn't build better cryotubes. <laughs> yeah, well, I kept expecting them to turn up. Um. But yeah, they, they clean up the ship. There's some Gorn eggs with that, that cleanup sequence, by the way. I do like that they show them cleaning up from time to time, like with when they were removing the graffiti uh, last week. Uh, but Yeah, I'm sure have... they just, as a sort of statement of show's philosophy, want to yeah. show anytime anybody is doing a sort of little, a bit of blue-collar stuff. Yes. Yeah, the, the, the medial tasks, the, the less glorious work, but someone's got to do it. You know, what we were talking about a second ago with... with uh, you know, Freeman actually, like, being more affectionate to Mariner. Like, we see that when she does, like, the, the cliche mom thing of, like, yeah. uh, like uh, trying to, to clean something on her kid's face. And yeah. Mariner's all pissed off and doesn't like it. And she does seem kind of childish there, but it's kind of cute. I kind of like it. No, I like that part. It was just when she pointed out the her wanting, not wanting the hug earlier on doesn't yeah. seem to jive with this part where she's actually wanting the mother classic mother-daughter relationship. Yeah, she says her. that. She says we could be a mommy-daughter team. Yeah. I, I need you. I need you as one of my senior officers. I need you by my side. And Mariner is very uncomfortable with that. Yes. And when the, the admiral comes in, it's kind of obvious. Okay, well, she's going to do something to this admiral. He's pinning yeah. medals on them. She's going to do something to him to get demoted. But I do like this little moment where we see like that, that connection between Mariner and Freeman when they're both trying to make fun of the joke here is that the way that he says censors. Yeah. And, and Captain Freeman is a lot smarter in the way that she's amused by it because she just says like, oh yeah, you picked up something on your censors. And she, she like says it back to him. Yeah. Whereas like, but that's where we see, like, she's similar to Mariner, but then we see how they're different. And that, like, Mariner is like, oh, why won't you just, like, call him out on how stupid it is to say that? <laughs> well, again, I think Mariner's trying to get herself demoted at that point because she doesn't want the mother-daughter thing that was just yeah. laid out in front of her. So she's like, well, I can act bad to mom and mom won't demote me. But if I act bad to the admiral, the admiral's going to want to know what did you do to that that lieutenant for, for acting up? And she's going to have to say, well, I demoted her because that's the only thing that's going to make the admiral happy. Now we get the, the circular thing where the episode ends like it began with her like embarrassing her mom in front of another uh, Starfleet officer. Yeah. Now was the the Admiral Vassar or whatever sounded exactly Vassary. like huh? His name was Admiral Vassery. Vassar. Vassery. Yeah, he sounded exactly like Kelsey Grammer 
was that not him? It was just a sound alike. I don't know. I thought it, it sounded like uh, the voice actor Joe DiMaggio, who played Bender on Futurama, but does a ton of voice work. To me, it sounded like one of the voices he does sometimes. But I, I actually looked it up yesterday because yeah. I was curious, yeah. and it wasn't posted yet who the voice actor was. So we'll have hmm. to wait to find out on that one. Okay, because it. Sh- I even figured it might be the Kelsey Grammer character from uh, the Time Loop episode, but uh, <laughs> I don't think that was his name, was no. it? I, and he was wasn't something. bald. Well, I mean, it's and he been didn't quite say a few stupid years. stuff. He didn't say stupid stuff like, "Are you making fun of me?" Yeah. <laughs> true, true. So that, that uh, well, we don't really get a lot of what he was. We get us a little snapshot. He says like what three lines? So yeah, that's true. Um, and we get that uh, final scene on the end, uh, just a little tag on the episode of of Mariner uh, explaining to Boimler that she's been demoted and she's happy about it because she, she didn't like all that extra work and extra responsibility. And he's offended. He's like, how could you just throw that away? That's all I care about is being promoted. But I like that she's friendly to him. She's like, well, here I got you the, the, the key card to the senior officer replicator. And now you can go have your, your macaroni with breading. And happy Boimler. <laughs> Which hopefully, seems like hopefully the... Commander Ransom is not there at the replicator also. Because he's probably mad that you poured coffee on his crotch. But. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I, again, it's like, is that really what he wants out of being a senior officer is just replicator access? Is that, it seems, I, I thought no, he wanted I, more than that. I think he does, but I think in the, in the heat of the moment, that was, uh, it sounded yummy to his tummy. I suppose. And it might just be nice. Oh, oh, Mariner's being nice to me. Oh, I'm not going to mess this up. <laughs> so nice <laughs> to not be picked on by Mariner. And speaking of like angry Tindy, we also get the joke here of like, she says, like, you know, I'm just going to have to learn to accept that some people don't like me. And Rutherford is like, yeah, that's good, because there's probably several people on the ship that don't like you. And then she's like, what? Who are they? Tell me who yeah. these people are. I demand that you tell me. <laughs> um, I still feel that Tendi, I feel I feel like maybe I'm just projecting that Tendi came away with this learning a lesson. I feel like the Tendi we have at the end of this episode is a smarter, more aware Tendi than we had at the beginning of the episode. Maybe. Uh, and... Uh, um, I, I mean, she says, she actually says, oh, I guess I need to learn this. This is my lesson. You know, yeah. she's maybe really not kind com- of joke that the kind of the punchline of the joke is that she hasn't learned. But I, I, I think that, well, she's in the process of learning at the very least. Well, I'll give yes. her that much credit. A- and knowing who these people are doesn't mean she's going to necessarily try like mad to try to convince them to like her. She just wants to know who they are, which I think almost anyone would be curious to know who in the office building doesn't like them if they didn't know there was <laughs> didn't know that information. I, I am not someone who's who's bothered if people don't like me, it is like annoying and inconvenient sometimes and can be yeah. frustrating. But I've, I've learned that sometimes you got to accept that and not everyone's well, yes. going to like you. But, but if you ran into somebody who knew who didn't like you, wouldn't you be curious as yeah, to, could uh, you tell me their name? You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think, I think if you are someone who is like going to stress out about it all the time, like that yeah. must, uh, that must be a very stressful life. Yeah. So, uh, no, no, I, I like that. I'm not entirely convinced. Did Mariner and did Mariner learn anything? I'm not, I'm less certain. She learned, uh, that her mom I, is, I think she bonded is, is okay her, sometimes. Yeah. She bonded with her mom a little bit, but not, yeah. not much. There wasn't a ton of growth there. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
there might have been a lot. We don't know. She, we, the, the. It's easy to say that the only reason she acts up in front of the admiral is because she wants to be demoted. It might not be that she's. Is she going to keep making mom's life a living hell, or not? Or is it just that she just wanted to get out from that, out from under the rank? And now, well, I think the done. main reason she wanted out of the job was because she was nervous about. You know, she's she's kind of been on the outs with her mom for so long. I, I think we can assume. That she was probably, like, uncomfortable with, like, oh, like, what if we do get along? And, like, well, what if I mess it up again? Or, like, it's just kind of scary. Yeah. You know, change is yeah. scary. I don't want to do I don't want to change to that. I, I can't do it. I can't handle it. I'm gonna, I want to yeah. go back to normal. Well, it's a yeah, natural we, we, reaction. Yeah, I, I need to see how they interact in the next episode to know whether or not she learned something. If they're nicer, if she's, if Mariner is nicer to the cat, to, to uh, Freeman in the next episode, then she did learn something. If she's just as mean, then apparently she didn't. I mean, I don't, I think that the way that the show is styled is it's going to be more that uh, reset school TV. Yeah, reset yeah. to the status quo. I think the changes like that are going to come like gradually. I think there will probably be multiple stories of like, mariner learning to get along with her mom and it'll it'll probably like be a very slow burn of like that actually uh yeah I, fruition. I, yeah some sort of degree of 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 dis, you know notching down the, the discree the degree of disrespect from a a 10 to an 8 would probably be sufficient for me but. sure yeah well i do need to like knock out these gorn eggs real quick because we are low on time but uh fortunately there were not as many as there typically are uh, but i'll just start off with the the merced herself the sister california class starship also named after a city in california and this one has a blue uh stripe layout instead of the yellow stripe layout that mike mcmahon's explained that the the reason for that yellow striping on the serratos is because it's an engineering ship that's why they install communication relays on that uh planet in the first episode uh, whereas here the the merced it's a science ship so they're using the uniform color divisions for the california class ships and uh, again, this one is named after uh, real life loca- location, Merced, California. Uh, the the life goo that we talked about earlier that is very similar to the Genesis device from Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan makes me wonder if this goo used proto matter or not because it does <laughs> seem to be like a little bit more effective. So too bad, uh, too bad, Carol and David didn't have access to uh, this goo. Uh, the uh, Captain Durango was a Tellarite, uh, first introduced in the original series, the first one we've seen on Star Trek Lower Decks. And Tellarites also feature in Enterprise and Discovery. The uh, Ascension that Lieutenant O'Connor goes on to, when Tindy explains that to Rutherford, he mentions, oh, like the higher being like Q or the Traveler, uh, two characters established in the next generation. Like I mentioned before, we've seen basically like characters turn into gods before on star trek basically turn into these non-corporeal energy beings uh we have matt decker or no uh will decker yeah. I, I always say the wrong one in the motion picture when he merges with Viger, we have uh john doe from transfigurations we have uh, amanda rogers was a human who became a, a q uh wesley crusher became uh, a traveler with the traveler <laughs> Uh, I liked Cass- uh, how um, what's his name was it Rutherford called him a he called him a the traveler early in the episode. <laughs> oh, did he? I didn't catch that. Yeah, yeah, he's like like a Q or a the traveler. <laughs> yeah. we, we have uh, uh, Kess also from Star I'd Trek. I'd forgotten Voyager. about Kess. You're right. And yeah, I there's about uh, another big one that I know like Dave ha- has not seen. This episode of Star Trek he hasn't seen, so I'm not going to spoil it here. Uh, 
I mean, um, I assume this is a DS9 thing, which I at least know vaguely. Uh, and it's okay. As... You can confirm. It won't hurt me. Well, I, <laughs> I know I, about I, Ben. I, I would just, I would just rather not say it. All right, fair uh, enough. I appreciate it. But um, we get that mention to uh, Space Lincoln from the Savage Curtain that Brian picked <laughs> up on uh, when. Mariner is in the conference room and she's kind of poking fun at them. She's like, oh, what are you doing in here? Like, uh, debating about the Prime Directive. That was a big stab at Next Generation episodes like Pen Pals, where like they stayed around talk- uh, talking about uh, the morality of uh, how to interpret the Prime Directive. Um, the painting in Mariner's quarters, this is my favorite Gorn egg this week. Uh, the, uh, there's a painting that hangs above her bed. That is actually kind of a uh, slightly different version of a painting that we saw in Star Trek The Next Generation, in the episode The Bonding, uh, where that, uh, <laughs> that woman dies and Worf is, like, trying to comfort her kid. But it's, uh, it's very similar. It's, like, a different aspect ratio. It's, like, the same painting, but it's, like, 4 by 3 on TNG, and then it's, like, 16 by 9 on Lower Decks. Uh, oh, very I, weird. I like that. And... Uh, the poker game, clearly uh, referencing the poker games of Next Generation. When uh, Tindy is trying to go all spiritual and get O'Connor back into his uh, back into his groove to ascend, uh, I don't know if this is intentional or not. She's got like this weird hat on her head, and the only other time I've seen something like that before in Star Trek was in Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home. The Vulcans that were working on repairing the Bird of Prey were. Uh, upgrading it or whatever they were doing have a very similar uh thing on their head i'm, I'm quite certain certain that was intentional that's not an accident yeah. it just seems weird because i didn't like think of these guys as like spiritual or anything but maybe maybe they're like vulcan science monks that's kind of cool actually <laughs> i'm gonna believe that now actually uh when she like covers them with those bugs or whatever she says that was a uh tamarian technique for ascending uh reference to i think one of dave's favorite people the tamarians from darmok Yep, yep. Uh, they they've missed their opportunities over the over the decades to do some sort of return to those guys. Yeah. I think we'll see them again with all the Star Trek that's being made. Uh, Boimler, when he kind of is going evil and says he'll report to the bridge and give them exactly what they deserve, he uh, was overheard on his com badge and panics and says, "Oh, that was just Moriarty." I'm. Uh, I guess he was insinuating he was playing on the holodeck with Moriarty, who we know from. Data and Jordy's Sherlock Holmes adventures in Next Generation. Uh, the static on the view screen when Captain Durango is uh, experiencing the, the terraforming effect on his ship, um, they kind of use the same static pattern on the view screen that we saw in the Next Generation episode Parallels, where there's that alternate universe Riker who's like, uh, my timeline is totally fucked. The Borg oh, yeah. are everywhere. We're all doomed. And the like, Riker this from is like 2020. The Riker from, yes, the Riker from 2020. um and then the my i guess my second favorite pairing of of gorn eggs is from cleaning up the ship they're actually using the vacuum backpacks that we saw something similar in the short truck episode of the trouble with edward when they're vacuuming up triples uh and they also have the spock goggles that you use to look at the medusa oh yeah um, spock goggles what's that is there in truth no beauty Yes. So that was uh, uh, cool to see that. 
And the medals that Admiral Vassery pins on Mariner and Freeman, they're not exact, but they're extremely similar to the, I think it's the Medal of Honor that they give to the Discovery crew in the uh, finale of Star Trek Discovery Season 1, Will You Take My Hand? The, the uh, Admiral actually says, Saru, you're the first Kelpian to be awarded the Medal of Honor. So I, I think I, all these people are getting a Medal of Honor. But yeah, it looks very similar. It does. Yeah. And of course, the Admiral saying censors, that is the way that uh, Leonard Nimoy said it when he played Spock to kind of make Spock sound more alien. And we also heard Tim Russ and Julian Blaylock and Ethan Peck, a lot of the actors who have come later to play Vulcans, use that same pronunciation. And uh, that's everything. So that's it for uh, Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1, Episode 4, Moist Vessel. But uh, be sure to uh, comment, let us know what you think, how you feel about this one. And tune in next week. We'll be live at 7.30 p.m. to discuss Episode 5. And everyone should totally, if you're watching us live, go check out Starfleet Boy After Dark. We're going to hang out over there. It's going to get moist. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see uh, who has the moist vessel. Like, uh, that sounds really dirty. And... Um, it's not going to be that weird, uh, but uh, that's it. Live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek, and follow Fathery on Twitter at txtrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you, and take care. Bye.